Welcome to the Mavens Do It Better podcast. And now, your host, Heather Newman. Hello, everyone. Here we are again for another Mavens Do It Better podcast, where we interview extraordinary experts who bring a spark to our world. I am sitting here in New York City, Manhattan. We're in Times Square, yeah? We're, we're in Times Square. We're in the Hell's Kitchen area, to be exact. Yes, Hell's Kitchen, <laughs> Times Square. Um, I am here with lovely Jim Kirstead, and I am so excited. I haven't seen you in forever. I know. It's been crazy. <laughs> I don't know how all this time went by. <laughs> I know, and Jim, I'm so excited. Uh, Jim and I have known each other for a while now, and we haven't seen each other in a while, but we were introduced by lovely and wonderful, talented Dan Holm, uh, Back, gosh, it's been a while now, but that was for Sideshow. Yeah, it's about four years ago. Four years ago, yeah. So I really wanted to have Jim on because he is a producer, a theater producer, and and many other things as well. But um, I was so excited, and I've seen American Sun, yes? Yep, we just had American Sun on Broadway. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So I would love for you to talk about, to our listeners... What does a producer do? And tell us about your life as a producer, because I know you've been doing this for a long time. Yeah, it's going on 20 years. Well, you know, Heather, it's so funny because um, I think unless you're in this business, unless you're a producer or unless you're somebody who's who's connected, you don't really know what a producer does. Um, You know, you look at the title page of the playbill and there's names above the title and nobody pays attention to them because they're not in the show and they didn't direct the show and they didn't write the show. Mm -hmm. So they just wonder who these people are. And a producer is really the person or group of people who are the business end of a show. Um, So what they do is they find the property, they put the team together to present it, to work on it, to develop it. And then they raise the money to make it happen. Right. And then they manage it, you know, from a marketing perspective, um, from a press perspective, to try to keep the show going as long as possible and be lucrative for everybody, get some money back and right. get some, some profits, hopefully. And then um, allow it to live, hopefully have a long life on the road and in other cities. And then to get it eventually published and have the piece done all over the world. Wow. Um, so that's kind of what a producer does. Yeah, you're an arts VC. Yeah, I try. I try. Thank you. <laughs> I love it. Oh my goodness. And you it's it's Broadway for you for the most part, yeah. It's Broadway. Um, you know, I started about 20 years ago okay. working to develop theater mm-hmm. and it was because I was helping a friend really. I was mm-hmm. helping somebody who was a writer. Um, she and her brother were writing a musical and super talented people Mm -hmm. and they needed somebody to give a little bit of money but also somebody to run around and do some errands for them and be an extra set of hands and eyes and whatnot so I learned this business just by starting helping these people out and I never necessarily thought I was going to do it again because I come from the information technology world um, for many many years and this world was very foreign to me but I fell in love with it immediately So I started developing work, and then we got into you know Broadway over the years after investing in various shows. And over the last couple of years, I've gotten involved with uh, film and TV as oh, well. Cool. Okay. So we just uh, had a had a series that was on Amazon that won an Emmy Award last year. Which one? Which so that was fun. It's called The Bay. Oh wow! Yeah, it's this oh, really cool little series. Thank yeah. you so much. Thank you. Wow. So it's really fun because um, over all these years, it used to be that theater was a little separate island, and film right. was a separate island, and TV was a separate island. And then all of a sudden, as technology started catching up, it allowed all these parts, all these artistic um, areas to come together yeah. and cross. Right. So a lot of people who just did one before, mm-hmm. one of these areas 
they can participate in all of them based on what the piece is. Now. Right. So yeah. you can kind of choose the best medium. Mm-hmm. Well, and you see like many Broadway actors coming into yeah, television for sure. It's like, what was the Bunheads? Uh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Right, Sutton Foster. Sutton she Foster. was in that yes, one. Absolutely. Yeah, and a lot of the people go into CSI. Oh, if you right. look, if you watch CSI or any of those kinds of shows, okay. you'll see all the Broadway actors in there because it's filmed <laughs> in New York area. Oh, right. And they all go in. Yeah. yeah, and they actually make money in doing that, well, which is fun. Yeah, that's always nice, right? <laughs> oh my goodness. So, so what do you have um, that's on right now? So we have Kinky Boots that's been running for six years. So that actually um, concludes on Broadway on April 7th. You know I know Mr. Burroughs. Do you really? Yes. Oh, that's great. Yeah, he was an actor at SRT. Oh, fantastic. At Santa Rosa, uh, yeah, Summer Repertory Theater. Yes. Oh, that's wonderful. He's a honey. Yeah, yes. completely. Shout out. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing. Yeah, so that concludes in April after okay. a really great six-year run. We were, you know, we had a... Um, a production in london we're in toronto we had an australian tour we had a u.s tour a uk tour is going on right now so hopefully that has a nice long life ahead of it you know even after broadway's over um we have waitress that's still running on broadway it's been on a few years yeah sarah burrells wrote Mm -hmm. that of course yeah and that's still doing really well we have a u.s tour of that that's doing really well and that's just starting performances in london right now and then we have pretty woman uh, with music by Brian Adams, okay. and that began performances this August, okay. this past August. So right. that's doing pretty nicely, and we've got uh, three new shows starting. Ooh. So you mentioned American Sun, that yes. was a sixteen-week limited run, right? But that's that closed a couple weeks ago, um, and now we've got Be More Chill starting, Fun. which we're excited about. We've got a show, Ain't Too Proud, and that's basically the life of the Temptations. It's their oh. backstory okay. and all their music, that uh-huh. incredible songbook. Wow. And then we have a amazing new piece called Hades Town that's coming mm-hmm. and that started the New York Theater Workshop downtown several years back okay. and it went on a journey about of development and um, you know the amazing Rachel Chafkin is directing it mm-hmm. she's the one who did the great comet with Josh Groban that yep. we were part of a few years ago okay. and it ended up going um, Hades Town ended up going over to London it was just the national okay. on its journey to Broadway so that's starting previews pretty soon which they just went into rehearsals last week so we're getting ready for that as well. You have so much let's on Broadway right now. That's amazing. It's been a lot of fun. It's been super busy. Yeah. And then I've got my own shows that I'm developing. So right. um talk about that. Yeah. So there's this one play that I had gone downtown with a friend a couple of years ago, mm-hmm. and we knew somebody in a cast of this one act festival. So it was three little half hour one act plays. And I wasn't holding out much hope for this little one-act <laughs> festival, but sure. we figured we'd have a good time. <laughs> right. And the first play was this play that I'm mentioning, and it was only a half hour, and I, it blew me away. I, was, I said, I need to know more about this play. I want to work on this play. Right. So I asked my friend who I went with if she knew the writer. She mm-hmm. did. So we went up and met him afterward. And I said, if you'd like to help, you know, if you'd like to work with me to turn this into a full length, like 90 minute play, I said, let me know. And he's like, "Uh, yeah, I'd love to do that. So he started (laughs) meeting regularly and he started working on it. And, um, you know, three years later, we've got an amazing Broadway director who's on board, uh, her name is Cheryl Keller. And we're working to cast it right now. We're going to do an industry reading at the end of March, and then we're going to get it out into the world. And I'm super excited about it. Nate, can you tell the name? Yeah, it's called Sparkler. Sparkler. Yeah, it's all about 1950s Hollywood. Oh, And the underbelly of that. It's pretty cool, and it's very sexy. There's a lot of that, for sure, in Mm -hmm. Hollywood. Yeah, and having just moved to Los Angeles, I'm kind of dipping into that old Hollywood stuff and kind of learning more about that. So that's exciting. Yeah, Yeah. I'm really, really happy about that one. And then we've got another piece... um, 
called Fancy, and it's based on the Reba McIntyre song, Fancy Was My Name. Oh. So the story, it's, it's really kind of a neat concept. These writers wrote a book mm-hmm. for the musical based on the story of the song from Reba McIntyre's song. So that's the story, and they've adapted it to use 25 hit contemporary country music songs to tell this story. Wow. And... We've been working on this for a while, so we're going to do this um, at a theater in the Midwest in the spring of 2020. Okay. Get this thing up on its feet, and right. uh, then we'll probably do another production of it in the fall, 2020, yeah. and then get this thing out on the road, and there's lots of places that I think it would play incredibly well, including like Las Vegas yeah. and some other sure. of those types of spots. Do you think that it's something where, because it's using contemporary songs, that the the folks who either wrote or play those songs might like dip in for a... Hello? Like That's a such cameo? A, oh, I love you asking me that question. Yes, I do, in fact, think so. <laughs> I was like, isn't that a good idea? That's, no, part, of, that's like, part of the plan, <laughs> and I love, I love that you thought of that. Are you a producer? Uh, maybe. <laughs> a little bit. A little bit. <laughs> yeah, so we're definitely going to do that, and they all know that the show is happening, oh, including cool. Reba, so mm-hmm, we want to get mm-hmm. her out there, too, to right. see it, because you know, it would yeah. be lovely if she'd like to be involved in some way as yeah. well, even if it's just to be a, a friend of the court. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so we're working on that now. That's so cool. Yeah, it's been a lot of fun. So you got start. So what was the what was sort of like you you had this moment where you got started with a friend, and then when was sort of the next moment of like you you were like yes I want to do this, was it you seeking out or did somebody go oh he just did this and maybe we should talk to him or like what was the next trajectory from that? Well, it's it's funny you say that. So the first thing that got me involved um, with wanting to be part of theater because it was never something that ever crossed my mind except that I was an audience member. Okay. In 1998, I went to see the original production of Sideshow. And you yes. and I met at the revival of Sideshow a yes. few years back. Yes. But when I went to see this in 1998, I walked into the theater as an audience member mm. and I left as somebody who wanted to be part of this world. Uh. It just changed my life in such a strong way. So mm-hmm. I got to be friends with the writers after that just through circumstance. And... I started getting a little bit more involved in the world just because mm-hmm. they were writing new shows. So I right. would go to readings that they did. So I started understanding like what the process was, at least on a very general level, about what was involved in putting a theater piece together. Sure. Because you don't really know that unless yeah. you're unless you're in the world. So right. that was my entree into the world a little bit. And mm-hmm. then this whole experience with these people who were writing this musical, um, that was my first time really getting to be a little bit of a producer on something rather than just somebody going to see readings and whatnot. Mm. And then when that ended, um, it was a great experience because I got to meet a lot of exciting people in the business and we went through a whole audition process. So I understood what that was like. But right after that, I, you know, I figured it was, I figured it was done. I was going to go back to my world information technology. And (laughs) where were you in IT? I was, um, the, the, um, the systems manager. No, I wasn't the system manager. I was the, um, Information technology manager for a company. So okay. I, I, I was there about 30 years by the time. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It was wow. a long time. Yeah. So I had a whole career doing that. But um, right after I finished up with this show that I'm mm-hmm. telling you about, yeah. a friend of mine came to me and he said, you know, I have a piece that you might be interested in working on. Mm. And he took it off of his shelf. And instead of being like a 30-character musical the size of Les Miserables, which the other <laughs> one was, this was a two-character musical with one piano. Oh, wow. So it was very manageable. Mm-hmm. So we ended up doing it in a theater festival in the city okay. in 2003. And Martin Charnin, the guy who wrote and directed Annie, was our director. Oh, wow. So I 
it was exciting because honestly I thought it was just going to be six performances and done mm -hmm. but the show was a huge hit at the festival we ended up doing a cast recording of it we ended up doing it off Broadway in 2005 and to this day that show has been published and it's had hundreds of productions in the United States and it's been done all over the world translated into 15 languages it's been in Korea for 12 years now Japan for six what? and China's is going into its second year what's the exact year. name of it it's called Thrill Me the Leopold and Loeb story oh my god so it's the story of Leopold and Loeb <laughs> 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 in a musical, wow. but it's a, but it's a chamber musical, so it's very dark and gritty and, okay. and sexy, also. So it's a it's been a very interesting experience. Yeah. yeah, it's been a real wild ride. That's amazing. So in twelve, so twelve years in twelve years, Korea. yeah, in Korea. Oh yeah. my goodness! Mm -hmm. Wow, and yeah. that was really the first. What sort of the second one that you had your hands in? Yeah, that was the first thing that I did yeah. on my own. Okay. Um, the other one was I was sort of helping out those folks. So right. it was very just fortunate the way it all worked out. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, it's it's been really well received everywhere it goes. Yeah. It's a really tight, interesting piece. So as a result of that, I went on the board of the York Theatre Company in New okay. York City, uh -huh. which is where we did Thrill Me in 2005. Right. And I started developing other work with them. And mm -hmm. we did a show called Yank. Mm -hmm. In 2010, okay. off Broadway, yep. and that got nominated for a lot of great awards. And then um, I was working on the show Unexpected Joy, which was with Bill Russell, who wrote Sideshow. Yes, and that's how we got to you know. Who I met, who is lovely. Yeah, he's great. He's so Bill's cool. terrific. Yeah, yeah, he's a very good friend. Mm -hmm. um, so we started working on this four-woman show called Unexpected Joy mm -hmm. that he and his writing partner Janet Hood had written. Okay. Um, so we started developing that. And while I was there, I'd invested in Broadway a bunch of times at that point. But while I was there... Invested meaning, tell everybody what that means when you say that. Sure. Um, you know, Broadway is an interesting structure. Like, you have lead producers who are responsible for the show. But then what they have to do, because Broadway musicals are very expensive. You mm -hmm. know, they could be 15 to $20 million right. for average Broadway musical nowadays. Yeah. And it's impossible for one person to bring in that money and even if they could right. they would want to spread that risk around so right. what they do is they bring on co-producing partners yep. and you get billing and you get you know some extra um, you know financial consideration for, sure. for do all your work you're doing but what you do is you take on a chunk of the fundraising right. so then you those people go out to their investors mm -hmm. and they'll write a check right. to invest in this corporation so it's mm -hmm. like an, it's an LLC give me a checky 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 that's right <laughs> That's, that's I love exactly. the producers. A yes, bit. yes, yes. It, it, it's it's, <laughs> yes it's, no, it's yeah. completely true. It, it's, it all happens. Uh <laughs> hey, you know what? The, investing, you know, whether it's investing in a company or investing, you know, it's the same thing. I just I wanted you to explain that because yeah, I, I don't think everybody understands sometimes that that's similar in in theater and and especially in something like Broadway where you do have such large amounts of money to actually get something off the ground. Absolutely, and just to give you like some more information about that, you yeah. know, like most investors um, for shows, like if it's a musical, a lot of times the minimum investment to be to write, you know, you're filling out an SEC investment paper right. where right. it's an operating agreement and subscription documents mm. and it's an illiquid investment, but mm -hmm. it's sanctioned by the SEC right. and the minimum dollar amount that you could invest usually for a Broadway musical is either twenty five or fifty thousand mm. dollars. And for play usually it's around twenty five thousand. And right. that's considered a unit in the show. And you right. can take multiples of those units and right, whatnot. Right, right. And that entitles an investor to um, you know, obviously you hope you get your money back and then mm -hmm. you start getting profits. Sure. And it gives you first right of refusal for subsequent productions. And you also get opening night tickets, so yeah. you get to go and go to the red carpet. So right. it's it's a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. But as a co producer, it's up to you to raise a 
substantial chunk of money. Right. So you go to your investors who may do a unit or a right, couple right. of units, mm -hmm. and then you're responsible for your, your entire raise. Right. And then that's your structure. Gotcha. Um, Thank you for that. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, no, no. Absolutely. Yeah. So when I, so I had been investing as an investor, like right. somebody doing a unit or two units over the years in various shows. Um, but while I was there working on Unexpected Joy at the York, mm -hmm. um, one of our our director, in fact, she had gone to the reading of Kinky Boots, to the workshop of Kinky uh -huh. Boots. And I had been aware that was coming. Mm -hmm. And I knew sure. Cindy Lauper wrote the music. Yep. And I said, I want to be a co-producer on this show. And I set out to do that. And right. I ended up doing it. And it took me a long time to raise that money because yep. I didn't really have people to go to. Sure. Yeah. And I figured it out. So we had a really fun year that year. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. When did, what year did that open? It started in Chicago and out of town in uh, 2012, and it opened on Broadway in April of 2013. That's right. That's right. And um, tell everybody what out of town means. Sure. You know, you work on this show, and it's it's big, right? You work in a big musical. Mm -hmm. And there are too many moving parts in it when you're developing something brand new right. to just come to Broadway. It's too much. It's too expensive, and it's too risky. So what people do is so they have a diff another chance to work on it. They'll do it out of town, somewhere like a theater in Chicago mm -hmm. or in a not-for-profit theater or in various cities yep. that are yeah. theaters. Yeah, Seattle living there a long time the rep would do certain seattle rep would do something a play and bring it then bring it to broadway completely yeah. so yeah. it gives the creatives a chance to get it up on its feet to go through a full rehearsal process yes. to make changes to it to get out of town reviews mm -hmm. so you can look at those and see like maybe the critics notice something that we want right. to look look at and address and then a number of months go by before Broadway mm -hmm. and then it allows them to do work and then do it all over again for Broadway. Hopefully the show is even in much better shape than it was when it went out of town. Right. So it's a way of really going and having two opportunities mm -hmm. to make that first yeah. impression before you open on Broadway. Less of a workshop, right? You yeah. Know what I mean? Because I think sometimes people are like the what, doing something out of town and then versus doing like a workshop of something. You know? Yeah, a workshop is usually done for the most part. I mean, you can do it different ways, but usually it's done in New York City in a mm -hmm. big rehearsal studio. Right. And it's not with fully fleshed out costumes necessarily or yeah. fully fleshed out sets. They may just build something temporarily. Mm -hmm. And it's more about let's get the choreography down. Right. Let's work on the story. Let's work on some new songs. It's like there's specific work points that they want to do. Right. But when you're doing it out of town in this, this tryout, that's a full production. Right. You're up there and people are paying and they're mm -hmm. arriving and they want the show to be in tip-top shape. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I Thank you for making that distinction because I think some people are like, well, what's the difference between this and that and the other thing? You know, and it's, if you're not in the world, sometimes um, you don't know the terminology. You're so well. right. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Absolutely. So what's the, um, like, uh, big I, biggest, it might not be the right word, but I guess sort of, I'm going to say biggest, um, show or like the sort of I don't know what cast money or just grand grand like what's the what's the biggest one maybe that you've worked on or you produced I well mean, the big it, the biggest show yeah. that I've been a part of um, was The Great Comet there's okay. no doubt because what that show was I don't know if people are aware of that show but that yeah, was the show about that yeah, yeah. sure um, you know a bunch of years ago there's a little theater, a little not-for-profit theater in New York called Ars Nova, mm -hmm. and they developed this show. They commissioned it, in fact. Um, the writer's name is Dave Malloy, and they brought him, and they said, we'd like to write a show based on this number of pages from War and Peace. And he wrote a musical, and he wrote the book, and it was this immersive show in a very small theater um, called Ars Nova. And 
it got a lot of attention and one of the board members saw it and said you know i he was a broadway producer and he said i'd like to move this so he moved it to a tent he actually created a tent he paid wow. you know set up a tent yep and it was an elaborate tent mm-hmm. um, with the most incredible bathrooms, actually. There were <laughs> it was crazy. That's always key. It was right? amazing. Yeah. It was just, it was noteworthy that the bathrooms were incredible at this tent. And um, they served food. They actually served a dinner and the people wow. were dancing all over. And it was this really elaborate piece. And it did very well down there. And then the next iteration of the project was mm-hmm. he decided that he wanted to bring it to Broadway. And before he did, he went up to ART um, up, in, up in Cambridge. And they oh, yeah. did it for a proscenium stage for mm-hmm. a more for a traditional theater instead of a tent or a little tiny immersive show. Yep. And they built out some of the stage and they put the audience on the stage. And then they tried it out up there and reworked it and how they would set that up. And after they were successful, mm-hmm. he said, like, okay, let's go to Broadway. So they took wow. the Imperial Theater. They were okay. given the Imperial Theater, um, which is a nice-sized theater, very mm-hmm. big Broadway, nice-sized Broadway house. And they gutted the place. I mean, they completely really? gutted it. Yeah, wow. they set it up so there were ramps going through the theater. <laughs> there were staircases going up to the mezzanine. People were sitting on the stage. There was, wow. you know, they were serving pierogies. It was kind of fun. And um, <laughs> it was just this crazy event. And it yeah. cost a fortune to do it. Sure. But they got Josh Groban to star as the title character, Pierre. And that came to Broadway. So yeah. I was part of that. And when I walked into that theater, I was like, I've never seen anything like this before. Right. It was really beautiful. It was mm-hmm. a beautiful production. That's um, so cool. And I think everybody involved was, you know, very proud of the artistry of it all. There was a great group of people, you know, who were putting that show together as mm-hmm. far as the creative team is concerned. Right. Yeah. And I, that's, and so, you know, listeners that, that aren't as theatery, the proscenium stage is typically just. What you think of, I think, when you think of a theater, that it's it's just you're looking into sort of a theater with a, a box and a stage around it. You yes, know? exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Right. The proscenium is that that arch that's above yes. most theaters that people would mm-hmm. recognize. Yeah. And so this production, um, as Jim was saying, like kind of broke, I would say broke rules, but maybe kind of broke rules of where you sit as an audience member and where things happen. And so like that sort of more experiential theater peace if you will right yeah you know what i think is so interesting and this was one of the reasons why that year in particular and ongoing certainly but i've really gotten excited about immersive theater yeah. and i think people like it because mm-hmm. we live in a world now where everything we don't want to just watch something right we want to be in something we want to be a part of the action mm-hmm. you know whether that's video games yeah. or whether that's social media right. so people feel the same way they don't want to just watch something happening on a stage they want to be a part of it and that's yes. why these immersive shows have started becoming so yeah. popular mm-hmm. So this is an experiential show where the actors were all around you. Yeah. You could sit on the stage. Um, you know, Josh Groban was right in front of you, like three feet away. So it was it was exciting to yeah. see, and it was just a neat proof of concept because That's I think cool. there's going to be a big place in the world for this. You know, even yeah. more so in future years. Yeah. Was that one of the first that did that? Because I know there's been a few here, especially in New York. You get you get such great some of the crazy architecture here, or old buildings, or you know, old hotels where mm-hmm. some of that stuff. Was that one of the first? Because or, 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 there's been a few others. There, Yeah, there are others. There's, you know, the Sleep No More, yeah, this downtown right now. And that's in an old, like, it's like a hotel. And it's this mm. big multi-floored hotel. And people wander around and they do this story in there. With the masks. Yeah. With the masks. Yeah. Mm-hmm. This is an unusual situation because it's not often that you do an immersive piece in a traditional Broadway theater. Yeah, right. I mean, I have a hard time thinking of one. You know, they did... Yeah. They did um, 
once on this island at Circle in the Square. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't exactly call it immersive, but I would call mm-hmm. it realistic because right. they, you know, they made it into a into a space that felt like mm-hmm. there had been a hurricane wreckage there. Yeah. So okay. it was that, but it was still you weren't really interacting with it like mm-hmm. in this show. Right. So for them to redo a Broadway theater like this was was a big deal. Mm-hmm. It was wow. very expensive. Yeah, that's so cool. So uh, yeah, as far as that that. It's the bill of biggest, I would think, or just, you know, most expensive. Yeah, it was really, it was very, it was very, um, you know, like brave of them to do that. Yeah. Yeah, that wasn't something for the faint of heart. Right, yeah. <laughs> That's super cool. What's, ex- so, I mean, you bring so much to Broadway any, anyway, uh, just all the time and have for so long. Is there other things that are out there besides your fabulous shows that you're excited about seeing or that you've seen that really blew you away? Um. Yeah, you know what I just saw? I just saw To Kill a Mockingbird. Mm. And I think it was it was a really beautiful interpretation of that yeah. book, mm-hmm. that very beloved book. And the cast was fantastic. It was it was it's a very special story. So to be able to see it on stage at the Schubert, um, sure. you know they don't usually put plays on the stage at the Schubert. It's more of a musical house because okay. of its size. But right. but it deserves to be there. It's yeah. a, it's a great show. Um, and you know, there's there's a lot of new great things coming out this season as sure. well. So yeah. it'll be it'll be fun. And talk talk to everybody about the season, like what that means, like the season. So like sure. where it starts and where it ends, just so folks. Sure, the you know the Broadway season um, tends to go. The fall is first, and then we go through the winter, and then we have the spring season where things start to open. So the season is really, you know, kind of marked by the Tony Awards, yes. which are in June. Tony, Tony, Tony. Exactly. Yes. So the so the Tony Awards, once the Tonys happen, right? So the cutoff for the season is in April because right. then you've got the voting and all the um, you know, the promotion of the shows for the right. for the awards and whatnot. So the cutoff is in April. Mm-hmm. So anything that opens after April is not eligible for that season. It would be for the following season. For the Tonys. Yeah. yeah and then the Tonys are in June. Yep. So the summer tends to be quieter. A lot of people are away. They don't really start too many new things in the summer. Although right. this past year we did Pretty Woman starting in July and opening in August. But um, that's a little bit unusual of the situation. Right. So starting in September, then you get a big new batch of shows, right? Because right. things tend to close around the end of the summer okay. or around like right after the Tonys. So you've got these theaters that have space available and then mm-hmm. they bring in a whole bunch of new shows for the fall. Right. And then after Christmas, which is a very busy time, Thanksgiving, Christmas time, yep. is very busy for theater because you've got a lot of tourists in town. Right. You have anything that's kind of struggling, mm-hmm. they'll announce closing like right after the first of the year. Right. And then they'll start ramping up to bring new shows in for the spring gotcha. into those theaters because now they've got some real estate available. Got it. So that's kind of the way the season works okay. um, you know yeah. so we always celebrate the season at the Tony time that's yeah. kind of, that's kind of the marks the end yes yeah. absolutely the, the big hurrah mm-hmm. um, do you find I guess with since you've been in the business so long and seen Broadway change so much I don't are there things that have really changed that you can put your finger on that you're like gosh over the years trends or I don't know like yeah. yeah, yeah, there has there have been a few things. Um, I think the most notable trend is theater, like our culture, had to catch up because the audience for theater had always traditionally been a little bit older, mm-hmm. and certainly to pay Broadway prices a little bit more affluent. Sure. Um, yep. And what ended up happening was the audiences were getting older and mm-hmm. young audiences were looking at theater and saying, I don't want to go see this. I don't want to right. go see a revival of 
you know, some old show or something that feels like a clunky musical theater piece because tastes were changing. Right. So what they ended up doing is, you know, we had a real problem in the late 80s, early 90s where theater was concerned. We had a lot of dark theaters. Right. Now you can't get a theater. They've got like waiting lists of 100 people. Wow. But back then, they couldn't give the theaters away. They, huh. they, there was nothing to put in them. Right. So what ended up happening was they had to realize we have to start inventing content differently. Mm-hmm. So the first way they do that, right, is any time you're on a progression like that, you have to make some mistakes along the way and figure out <laughs> where you're going to go wrong sure. to get to where you need to be. Right. So what they started doing is they did all these jukebox musicals. Uh-huh. So everybody was doing a jukebox musical because they realized, oh, this is young and it's fresh and people know the music already. Right. So you're, you're not risking doing a brand new piece that nobody sure. knows. So people at least would go and say... I like, like the Jersey Boys kind of thing? Is that what yeah, and Jersey Boys was one of the really successful ones, right, as Mamma yeah. Mia was. But there were a bunch of them. There were a whole string of jukebox musicals that were not all that successful. Okay. And they just kind of did them, and they were they were kind of cheesy stories they mm. would throw in with the right. songbook that you would know every yeah, song. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the story was kind of, like, ridiculous. Sure. So those were in favor for a while, and they started right. bringing new audiences in. But they sort of fell out of favor very okay. quickly. That flavor of the month sort of disappeared. Right. Um, but what really happened after that is mm-hmm. they said, you know, we need to be more contemporary. We need to be more pop oriented. Sure. So they started doing things that appealed to younger, cooler audiences right. yeah. like Wicked, for example, uh, okay. like Book of Mormon. Yeah. Um, you know, so all these shows oh, came out. Spring Awakening, maybe. Too, Spring right? Awakening. Absolutely. Yeah, all these. Idiot, like some of that stuff. Right? Absolutely. Okay. All these all these shows, they started realizing like, hey, let's bring in younger audiences. Mm-hmm. We'll go more pop. Sure. And then they were sort of filling their theaters up again. So yeah. they realized this is good. Um, but what I'm so excited about, and one of the reasons why... So this has been pro- progressing, right? Because yeah, yeah. now you can't get a theater no matter what. I mean, it's really hard. <laughs> right, right. So what I'm really excited about is the show Be More Chill. Mm-hmm. And the reason that I wanted to be a part of it is this even skews the audience younger, right? Because mm. like a Dear Evan Hansen, that, yeah. the young people really love that. And so do adults. People of all ages are flocking to that show. But the Speed More Chill show is really interesting because it's speaking to people, you know, kids in the 12 to 15, 16 year range. Right. And when these kids want to go see it and they're so passionate about it, they bring their families along. Yep. You know, sure. at least that's the hope. And mm. so far it's been proving to be true. Yeah. Um, so and what I love about that is when you bring in young audiences like that. It's a great way to introduce them to the theater experience and have it be something that they want to do. Mm-hmm. And after they see this show and they've had a great time, they might be more inclined to say, hey, what can I see next? Right. And that might be Dear Evan Hansen or Wicked yeah, or yeah, yeah. Hamilton or one of these right. other great... And the Lion King, I think, has always been a big... The Lion King's like... just, just such a <laughs> such a hit. It's such right. a hit. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a really big hit because you can see that show and not speak a word of English and still have an amazing time. It's yeah. so visual and wonderful. Absolutely. Yeah. It's yeah. global. You know, global language, right? Mm-hmm. For sure. Yeah. That's amazing. Completely. Oh, okay. I just really want to ask you... Um, what do you the Hamilton phenomenon mm-hmm. what do you think about that like just it's I, everybody knows all the words of the songs every child I know like it's yep. like I can rap that blah, blah, blah. you know you're just like wow like they do what he, a like in in the heights you know into the heights that mm-hmm. am I saying that right in the heights, in the yeah. heights yeah mm-hmm. in the heights like that was I saw I got to see that on Broadway and and then just his progression too just so interesting and just blew up you know yeah yeah he's a genius like I think it's funny, when I went to see Hamilton, there was so much hype surrounding it, mm-hmm. and I'd seen it at the public before it came to Broadway, mm-hmm. and I watched it, and I was like, 
And it was before anybody... I mean, people, it was starting to catch on, but right. it was still within the New York theater community yeah, yeah, that yeah. it was popular. The world sure. didn't know about it yet. Yeah. And I remember going down and I was like, what is this show? It's so different. And I admired it on so many levels, but I was still trying to figure out what this show is. It was so fascinating. And then the next time I saw it, I got it. And I was like, oh, this is amazing. This, <laughs> this is a genius show. It's so special. Um, so it was really worth the hype, which yeah. surprised me because right. I was almost thinking, oh, I'm going to be disappointed. Mm-hmm. You know, how can something ever live up to this? But yeah, it's, yeah. it's pretty terrific. Yeah. You know, and I think it just really captured the hearts of people because yeah. here we have this famous figure in the history of the United States. And, um, yeah. you know, it's it's told in such a fresh, cool way. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, you know, it's, it's about a person. Yeah. I think that's the kind of shows that do the best, right? When you're yeah. talking about people, mm-hmm. you're talking about emotion, and it doesn't matter what that yeah. that story is, right? It's mm-hmm. about, like, how can you connect with those characters? Yeah. I think I just, I, when I think about you, I think about how for so long you've been able to bring empathy to a lot of people and I think that's so cool oh thank you that's what theater is about right I love it it makes (laughs) me so happy well what I do what I like to do with theater is especially you know anything I get to be a part of um, but if it's something I'm developing you know I want it to be something that has a positive message Um, I I don't get involved I always tell people I don't really get involved with political debates Mm -hmm. I don't want to argue politics I don't want to talk about you know, anything in a way other than... Because I'm not going to convince anybody, right? Yeah. And they're not going to convince me. We all have our opinions. But what I like to do is I like to put my efforts and resources behind positive pieces and put them out in the world and let people get the message that way and be entertained yeah. while getting it. Yeah. And at least if they don't agree, at least they can hear something from a different point of view yeah. and maybe it'll stick with them yeah. um, and maybe it'll convince them to think of things you know outside the box yeah it's like if it educates and entertains at the same time right it's like magic i think so too yeah i think so too it's very powerful yeah it's a really powerful medium um to be able to give somebody something like that to take away yeah that's cool all right my last question yeah what was the first piece of theater you ever saw the very first piece of theater that i ever saw well, I know the first Broadway show I saw for sure. Okay. And it was Annie. I saw mm. Annie on Broadway. And then it was so fun because I got to work with Martin Charnin as yeah. for my first show when I did Thrill Me right. all those years later. Um, so I remember that was my first Broadway show. I loved it. It was like I was probably in, I don't know, second grade or third grade. Wow. And everybody was seeing that show. It was such a phenomenon. Are you from here? I'm from New Jersey. Oh, that's right. Jersey. Yeah, I grew okay. up in northern New Jersey. That's right. So that's we right. everybody would go to the city to yeah, see Broadway yeah. shows, sure. you know, okay. not all the time, but we yeah. did it relatively frequently. Right. Um, so I loved that. And as a kid, I probably, you know what, it, it wasn't a play that I saw when I was a kid that made the biggest impression on me. But when I was a little kid, mm-hmm. I saw the movie Mary Poppins and uh, it was it was back in the theaters yeah. on one of its many times back in the theaters. And I remember yeah. I couldn't get enough of that show. Mm-hmm. I, I got taken every week to see that show. It, yeah. it made me... It really made an impression on me. Yeah. I'm sure it had a big yeah. um, impact with my love mm. of musical theater. That's cool, yeah. I think I saw a chorus line, my father, Drury Lane in Chicago. Uh-huh. That was my first musical musical and didn't quite understand. I think I was maybe in you know middle school or something, but all I knew is I was like, those people are amazing. Mm-hmm. The dancing, the singing, the everything. And I, I just, I was enthralled. One of the reasons I became a theater major. 
That's so great. Yeah. Now tech, no, no tech person, but yeah. It's yeah. Like, see, we and, have a lot of crossover with that, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, you, you know, it's funny. The my, our community, our wonderful com- Microsoft community, has so many art people who are tech people. You know, mm-hmm. Dan and Dan Holm, who introduced us. Shout out, sweet Dan. Hey Dan. Um, hey Dan. Um, you know, he was a theater major as well. Lou Sundet, who's another friend, she was a music major. Like, there's tons of interesting crossover between art and technology. And I, it, people are sometimes are like, how is your theater major? And I'm like, I use it every day. Oh, I completely agree with you. I tell you. stories. It's about empathy. It's about understanding. It's, you know, in sales, it's about how to sell something to people and understanding human emotion and all. We were talking about that a little mm-hmm. bit before and um, just basic psychology, you know. And so I think it's really interesting that you find that those things cross over a lot. I, th- I think so, too. Um, you know, there's been a lot of interesting studies and articles over the years about how an acting degree can be so incredibly valuable in mm. all facets of life. Yeah. You know, even if somebody never goes on a stage, just that course of education that they get yep. is so helpful in business and just dealing with other human beings. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, how to present yourself properly and yeah. and whatnot. So yeah. it's, it's valuable. Yeah. It's valuable. And that's what disturbs me so much about any undervaluing of the arts in this country. Agreed. It's so short-sighted and terrible because people all have this need to be creative. And if they're not allowed to be creative, I think they just are miserable. Yeah. I, I don't know how I would live my life if I wasn't able to be creative in some way. Yeah. You know, you could see how people would... Yeah suffer from that absolutely it's hard to see arts programs suffer yeah you know with uh, in, in our education system yeah it sure. helps in every facet of life yeah. you know absolutely. people people who think that you don't need arts because you're going to go into a business are sadly mistaken yeah i agree with you wholeheartedly i think and presentation skills just i mean public speaking is still one of the like it's up there with you know spiders and i think i said this the other day i was talking to someone who's spiders and sharks and it mm-hmm. is a fear that mm-hmm. people have about getting in front of people. And so it's like theater and improv and all of those things are so helpful for that. And that's, again, like you just said, any aspect of business, you're going to have to do that. Completely. You know? Completely. And we live in a world now, you know, sadly, we're, you know, it's, it's a double-edged sword, right? We have technology mm-hmm. that's available to us. And it starts, technology can be amazing, but it can also distance us from yeah. human relationships. Yep. And if you look at the kids now, right, they're very busy on their devices. And sometimes they forget how to talk to adults or talk to each other and they'll just text all day long and I think that theater has is going to be even more important because as human beings you know we're animals who have a need for interaction and communication and communing doing something together rather than being isolated in their bedroom on a video game and by being in that theater they're you're with a group of people you're watching people you feel connected with yeah. people, and that's something you can't get yeah. in any any other form of entertainment. Uh-uh. And so. collective moments of awe, mm-hmm. right? The moment when there's a moment a friend of mine, Shannon, uh, was working with us, and there was a little night music, and she flew in a drop mm-hmm. that she had painted, or the production did, and everybody in the audience at the same time went, <sighs> and. To this day, it's one of my favorite things mm-hmm. that 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 she did that with a paint with paint mm-hmm. on a beautiful piece of muslin or whatever you know, and and that's that's the stuff. It's incredible. Yeah, yeah, know? it's true. Yeah, it's so fun because in theater, right, you can like you don't have to be literal. Yeah, like in a film, you have to be literal. Right. You have to create the environment mm-hmm. exactly as it should look. But yeah. theater, you can be so creative and yeah. abstract. It's, yeah. it's it's really neat awesome mm-hmm. I just want to say thank you for doing what you do I mean it's I think it's so important and I what a, what a neat 
what a neat job. <laughs> oh, thank you so much. It's so funny. There have been like times in my life with theater where I'd get done with a project and I'd say, okay, I'm, I think I'm done for a while. And then literally the next day I was like, I can't stay away. I have to do the, I have to do this again. Like where's the next project. Yeah. So I, I, I've kind of given up on doing anything else well, at good. this point. <laughs> so thank you. <laughs> you're welcome well thank you for being on the show and sharing this with our listeners and um giving them a glimpse into what it is to be a producer here in new york city on broadway thanks heather thanks everybody absolutely well everyone this was another episode of maintenance do it better and uh you can find us on itunes on spotify on stitcher on the maintenance do it better uh, dot com website on all of our social and fun stuff so check us out there and uh Here's to another beautiful day on this big blue spinning sphere. Cheers. The original music on this podcast was created by Jesse Case.